We're turning tonight to Psalm 127, and we'll read Psalm 127 and 128 this evening. Nice to be back with you again tonight, and thank the Reverend Horace again for the words of welcome. He mentions the importance of encouraging each other, and um, just as he was mentioning that, how important that is. I was with the Reverend David McMillan a couple of just this day a week ago, and um, we had a meeting today with Mission Board in uh, the Martyrs Church, and we had another one later on in the evening time. And so between the two, we were going for a coffee in Marks and Spencer's at Sprucefield. And um, I was dressed like this, he was dressed in a similar way. And we were standing just deciding what we were going to order at the uh, coffee place in Marks and Spencer's. These two ladies come over, and she said, I'm not sure if you two gentlemen are the managers here, but I want to encourage you, your coffee is very good. <laughs> And I said, well, we'll take all the encouragement, but we don't make the coffee. We have nothing to do with Marks and Spencer's. We're just here to drink coffee too. But the encouragement was nice. It was very nice. And um, it's always good to encourage each other in the Lord. And so tomorrow night we look forward to that time of fellowship. Psalm 127. And we'll read Psalm 128 as well. This is the psalm we commenced with, actually, to sing on Tuesday night, the 128th psalm. And it's very appropriate for tonight as well. Except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As are as are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labour of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children, like olive plants, round about thy table, Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. Amen. We'll finish there, and we pray the Lord will bless his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. It's verse 1 of Psalm 127 that we're focusing our thoughts on tonight, the theme for tonight is building a godly home. And we read here in verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. And so it has the theme of building, our need of the Lord's help in that work that we are called to do as parents before him. So let's, with our Bibles open there, let's seek the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee tonight for thy grace and thy blessing that finds us once more in thy house and with thy people. And we thank thee for the privilege of that. We thank thee, Lord, tonight that we live in a nation where we have freedom to come and assemble in this upper room with thy word. And we can sing thy praise. We can seek thee in prayer publicly. We can read thy, thy truth, thy word. And, Lord, we thank thee we can take time together to study thy word without fear of persecution. And we bless thee for that. And we pray, Lord, tonight that as we gather here around these verses, that I would speak to our hearts, open up the truth of this psalm and these psalms to us tonight. And Lord, we pray that I would show us Christ, 
We pray for thy help as we think of our families. We think, Lord, of all the families represented in this meeting. And Lord, every one of us, every one of us needs thy help. There's not one exception to that rule. And we pray tonight as we ponder thy word that you'll bless those who are starting out in married life and, uh, Lord, children that are small and still at home with them, others with children growing up and away from home. Lord, whatever our circumstances might be, we pray tonight that thou would have a word in season for us. So we do commit our way to thee, and I pray for the infilling of thy spirit tonight. Give help. Give help, Lord, in the preaching. Give help in the hearing of thy word. Give help in the application of thy word, in the doing of thy word. Lord, come and visit us, we pray. Make these meetings tell for eternity. We pray that thy name will be glorified. So answer prayer and abide with us now. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Anyone who knows anything of the life of David, the king of Israel, will readily acknowledge that he was a faithful, obedient, and a courageous servant of God. Although he wasn't a perfect man, and in the latter part of his life committed some horrible sins, he is nonetheless described in 1 Samuel 13, and again in Acts chapter 13, as a man after God's own heart. That language, that phrase that you find in those verses of scripture suggests that David sought to live according to God's word. It suggests that he recognized that while he was the king of Israel, there was a king greater than him, and he was the servant of the Lord of hosts. It also suggests that this statement that David was a man after God's own heart, it suggests that he longed to know the mind and will of God as he ruled in the affairs of men. From the moment this man appears in scripture in 1 Samuel, he stands out as a man of integrity, a man of courage, a man of faithfulness, and most importantly, a man of God. It's no surprise then to learn that when David was eventually crowned the king of Israel, he longed to build a temple for God. Up until this time, the nation of Israel was still using the tabernacle. God was dwelling in curtains, as David speaks of a little later. A temporary tent for worship. And David wanted something permanent. He wanted to build a structure, a house of God, something at the heart of the nation, something that would be a testimony for the glory of God and for the honor of God's name. That was the burden on David's heart. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he calls for Nathan the prophet, and in verse 2 of that chapter, he says to him, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. In other words, it's not proper that I should live in a house of cedar while the worship of God takes place behind curtains or in a tent. And Nathan listened to what David was saying at that time. And he responded, he responded to the king, and he says, Go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Nathan the prophet gave David the green light to start building the temple for the Lord. But Nathan had been hasty. He hadn't sought the mind of God. He hadn't waited upon God. He had spoken out of turn. And during the night, God appears to Nathan and tells him that David was not to build the temple, that that work was for someone else. And so the message was couched with mercy. For God spoke at that time of the kingdom and the throne being established forever and mercy not departing. And of course those words 
are words that focus especially on the coming Messiah, on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was a tremendous comfort at this time. But David hears this message from Nathan in the morning that he's not to build the Lord's house. He's not to build the temple. Undoubtedly, David was gravely disappointed. But he was a man after God's own heart. And so he went into the tabernacle and he sat before God and he submitted himself to the divine will. He continued to reign. He made certain preparations for the temple, but he knew that that great work was going to fall to his son Solomon and that Solomon would complete that only after David had died. I can only imagine as David finishes out his reign, continues to serve God as the king of Israel, that his heart often focused on that temple. He loved the worship of God. He was thrilled to come into the presence of God and worship him. He valued the sacrifices and the praise and the consecration to God. And therefore his mind would have been often turned to think about the temple that would be built. It's with that before him that he now talks to his son Solomon in the words of our text. This is a song of degrees. It's in a series of psalms known as the song of degrees. You find that in Psalm 121. And 122, in fact, back to 120, you have a series of psalms known as the Song of Degrees. Psalm 127 has a different title. It's a song of degrees for Solomon. And so here is a psalm for Solomon that has to do with building. And no doubt that David has come to him and he wants Solomon to know, as he says in verse 1 here, except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. And he wants his son to know that in any building work, the Lord needs to be at the heart of that. While these words were written for Solomon and had particular reference to the temple, they are not confined to that. These words are applicable in many different settings of life. They are true of the work of God in his church. In the church of Christ, except the Lord build the house or except the Lord build his church. It's one thing to have ministers. It's one thing to have members. It's one thing to have creeds and confessions, important as that is. It's one thing to have oversight in the church and have outreach within the church. It's one thing to be reformed and have everything in place. But when all of that is in place, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 follows up with that when we're told there it's not by might nor by power. It's not by the collective power of an army or the individual power of a person. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And Christ has promised to build his church, and without him, of course, it will not be built. These words are true, therefore, in regard to the work of God in the church. They're also true in regard to society at large. Why is society falling apart? Why is it we find that our nation just goes from one crisis to another and ungodly behavior is prevailing? Because it has been forgotten that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And these words, of course, are also true in regard to our homes, in regard to our families. The Hebrew word for house comes from the same word that's translated build, in verse 1. And that word, bana, has close connections with the 
Old Testament Hebrew word that's translated sons and daughters. So when you're thinking here of a house and sons and daughters and this verb to build, it's all connected with the family, with parents and their children. The idea of building up. And this is why I say this text is so applicable in our home lives. It's a text with application for Christian parents, how we are to build our homes, how we are to see our families built up in the things of God. Except the Lord build the house. They labour in vain that build. And so tonight our theme is that, very simply, building a godly home. We want to look at this psalm and this verse especially. Notice first of all here, there is a great endeavour. A great endeavour. There are many things that people seek to build in life. As they go through the course of their life. Some want to build up their business. They want to see their, build, their business progress and advance and develop and increase and grow. Some want to build up their wealth and their possessions. They're thinking of retirement. They're thinking of later in life. And they want to build up their possessions that when they come to that time, they're comfortable enough that they can stop working and retire very well. Some want to build up an aim for themselves in public life. That's their ambition. That's their desire to do something in society that, that they're recognized for and that they have a name among others. And in some ways there's nothing wrong with ambition in life. Reverend Horace opened his prayer with that, opened the service in his prayer referencing that. There's nothing wrong with ambition. Nothing wrong in and of itself with striving to do the very best that we can, so long as it doesn't become a god to us. But building up in life is important. But there's nothing more important in the Christian home or in the Christian family than to build spiritually and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Building a home that is blessed by God is the greatest endeavor that any Christian parent or any Christian grandparent can be involved in. It's the greatest thing that we can give ourselves to. The word labor that's used here in our text, except the Lord build the house, the labor in vain that build it, means to labor to exhaustion. It's a very intense word. It means to toil or to labor severely. And as such, it emphasizes the value or the worth of the work that's in focus in verse 1. We ought to, we ought to settle this in our minds tonight whether you're a young family or an older family, we ought to settle this in our minds that there's hardly anything as important for Christian parents and for Christian families than the building up of our homes in the ways of the Lord. That's, that's a fundamental thing for us as Christian parents. We might have an interest in the political world around us. We might have an interest in the financial things that are taking place at this present time, in educational things, in agricultural things, but our greatest interest should be in this greatest of all endeavours, the spiritual life of our families, our children, and in our homes. Let me say something about the responsibility for this great endeavour. It's obvious from what follows in this psalm that David makes reference to parents. He makes reference to fathers and to mothers. He says, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb 
is his reward. There's a reference to mothers. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. There's a reference to fathers. So he's talking to fathers and to mothers. He's talking about the man that has his quiver full of them. He's talking about adults. Those who have authority in the home. He's talking about those who are no longer children, but who have responsibility for children. And the inference in these verses is that those are the ones, the adults who have authority, the adults who have responsibility for the children, it's those adults who have the responsibility to labor and to build a godly home. The responsibility lies upon our shoulders. This comes down to fathers and mothers. It's our responsibility under God to so order our lives in the ways of God and to bring up our children in the fear and nurture and admonition of God. That's true the church has a role to play. The Sunday school, the children's meetings, the Bible class, the youth fellowship, a Christian school, other Christian organisations. But that in no way means that the parents can be hands off on this. That in no way means we can just simply hand our children to our Sunday school teachers or our children's workers and think that they will do this for us. The primary responsibility lies with those to whom God has entrusted the children. They are gifts from him to parents given by him. And therefore we are to direct our children to him. Look at that reference there in verse 4. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. An arrow is no use. It is no use unless it is pointed in the right direction. An archer takes the arrow into his bow. He lines it up. He sets his eye on whatever target he's thinking of. And he has one opportunity. And so he directs that arrow. And as God has given us the children, it is our responsibility to direct those children back to him as the arrow is directed by the archer. This is our responsibility. There's a very interesting verse in Genesis 18. and verse 18, it speaks of Abraham. And the Lord says in that verse that Abraham would become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Those are remarkable Words. We looked a little last night at Abraham's life and his journey with Isaac to Mount Moriah and his fear of God and how he loved the Lord immensely. But in chapter 18 and verse 18, the Lord says there that, that he would be blessed. And then he says in verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, verse 19, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Do you see what it says there? For I know him. I know that he will command his children and his household. Now that phrase in the Hebrew is in a particular form that teaches that Abraham was chosen of God to command his children. This was part of God's electing purpose for him. That Abraham would guide his children. He would command his children. This was God's purpose for Abraham. Not simply that the Lord would know that he would do this. But the Lord had chosen him to do this. 
This was God's will for him. This was God's purpose for him. And believer, that's true for every one of us. Building a godly home is God's will for us. Doing what we can to see our children brought up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. The responsibility of this. And you see, think of Job and his example. Job's children have gathered together to feast together. There's nothing sinful in what they're doing. But Job is very conscious that it could be that they sin against God in their hearts. So he rises early and he prays for them and offers sacrifice for them. He's taking responsibility. He's taking responsibility. And the Lord would have us to do the same. Notice the gravity, not only the responsibility of this great endeavor, the gravity of it. Building a home is not an easy thing. Building a godly home. In many ways it's easier To focus on the physical and material aspects of our families. And for sure we have a duty to look after physical health. We have a duty to take care of our children's education and their educational development. We are to see that their needs are met. We are to ensure that they're clothed and fed and have a home to live in and they're safe. We are to provide for our children in all of those ways. But while we take care of those things, we must never neglect the most important thing. They have a soul to be saved. They will live forever, either in heaven or in hell. We must never forget that. While we take care of all the things here on earth, our children will live forever. In one of two places. And that underscores the seriousness of this building work. For be sure of this. The world and the flesh and the devil will will bid for our children. The world will want to take them off into the things of sin. The devil will want to do the same. And they have a corresponding flesh. Our young people. Our young people face grave temptations. Paul writes to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and 22 and he tells him to to flee youthful lusts. If you read Proverbs chapter 1 sometimes and Solomon writing to his son urging him to abstain from sin and not to go the way in the company of sinners. And temptations will spring up from within their own hearts, the hearts of our young people. Temptations that will be thrown in the way by the world and by the devil. They're facing that every day. Every day of their lives, they will be tempted to be proud. They will be tempted to be self-indulgent. They will be tempted to be selfish. They will be tempted to be covetous and envious. They will be tempted to disobey you as parents. They will be tempted to rebel against God. They will be tempted to lie and to cover up their lies. They will be tempted to go the way of the world into drink and drugs and immorality. They will be tempted to defy God and to defy you as parents. They'll be tempted to follow their peers into thinking that Christianity is old-fashioned and not for them. And even though they're brought up in Christian homes, even though they sit in a gospel-preaching, Christ-exalting church, they will face those temptations. They will face them as they grow up. 
Therefore, it's no easy thing to raise children in the fear and nurture of the Lord. There are grave, grave pressures from without, and there are grave pressures from within. That's why the word labor is used here. It can be exhausting work. It can be exhausting work. It can leave the Christian parent feeling very, very weary and very worn out dealing with children growing up, especially when they come into teenage years. There are many, many challenges, many decisions to make, many pieces of counsel to give, many words of admonition to give. Many pieces of advice to give. And sometimes it's taken. And sometimes it's not taken. And that can break a parent's heart. But we are to labour here. It's a grave work. That we're called to do. The responsibility of it. The gravity of it. The activity in this great endeavour. Building a home won't just happen. The word labour of course suggests work. It suggests effort. And therefore there is a number of things we ought to do as we seek to build godly homes. Prayer. Prayer. Abraham was a man of prayer. He raised altars. You read his life from Genesis chapter 12 and you'll find, and I mentioned this last night, when he moved from place to place, he very often raised an altar and he prayed. He prayed. And parents, let me say this to you. Pray for your children. Pray with your children. Pray that they will come to know Christ. Pray that as they hear the word of God, it will take root in their hearts. And the Lord in his mercy and grace will save them. Pray that they will be kept from the world. Pray that when they grow older, that they will be well grounded in the things of God. That when temptation comes, they will be able to resist the devil. Pray that they will have good company. Pray that they will have wisdom to choose good friends. Pray that when they're looking for a partner in life, the Lord will guide them correctly. Pray that they will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That they will put the Lord first. Pray for your children. And then there's the matter of Bible reading. Bringing the word before them. Training up our children invariably is going to mean bringing them under the sound of God's word. Numbers chapter 6, very familiar words I'm sure. Numbers 6 verses 6 and 7. The Lord said, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. Teach them. Diligently. To thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And the language there in that verse 7, it talks about when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you sit in your house. All those phrases mean wherever you are, whatever you're doing, bring it in, bring it back to the Word of God. Bring the Word of God constantly to their attention. The Word was to be central in those homes. The things that God commanded were to be central. Brings me into the realm of the catechism. A memorization of scripture. How important that is in the Christian home. 
If our children can learn and understand the Shorter Catechism, our young people get a grasp of that, it will give them a summary of Christian doctrine unequaled. So teach them the Catechism. When it's set for Sunday school class, encourage them to learn that. And encourage them to memorize God's Word. So as they get older, that Word is part and parcel of their thinking. And as they get older, they can draw on that and learn from it. There's the aspect of godly example. We teach our children more by what we do and by what we tell them. So lead them by example. Show them. Show them that Christ is everything to you. Why would they desire to have Christ everything to them if they don't see that in their parents who profess to be saved? Show them the scriptures are important. That holy living is important. Live, live out the gospel before your children. Faithful church attendance. How important that is. The world will pull our children away. We want them to recognize, we want them to recognize the importance of public worship. The importance of public prayer. Those are some of the necessary components of building a godly home, building foundations in the word of God, bringing them to understand the significance and the importance and the value of the scriptures. And ultimately, of course, we're building on Christ. We're showing to them the importance of the Savior. The responsibility, the gravity, the activity, the urgency of this. Our children are not children very long. The years fly past very quickly. The idea here of the arrow in the quiver, it doesn't stay in the quiver long. It's not designed to stay in the quiver long. The arrow is to be launched forth. And we bring our children up and we pray as they grow older and become more independent that they will know the blessing of God in their lives. That time comes very quickly. Far more quickly, I think, as you look back and you realize when you're looking forward, therefore there's an urgency on this. Building our homes with Christ at the heart of them. Remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he told the parable of the two builders, one building on the rock and the other building on the sand. We need to build our homes on Christ, where Christ is central, where his word is central where we live for him, where it's seen that we're living for him, that we're carrying our burdens and prayers not just for emergencies, it's, it's an aspect of everyday living for us. So pray for your families. And if your families are up and away, maybe, maybe you don't have a family, maybe you're not married, but you can pray for the families of the church. You can pray for the children in the children's meeting the children in Sunday school. The entire church is involved in this. So let's remember to bring the families before the Lord at the throne of grace. So you have a great endeavor in these verses. And then notice secondly, a great essential. A great essential. When America was gaining its independence from Britain, the political leaders of that time recognized the need to draft a constitution. 
the American Constitution to this day is a very important document and they would fight tooth and nail to maintain the Constitution. But back at that time, there had been a convention convened to address this issue of the Constitution. And Benjamin Franklin was there, and as that convention assembled to draw up the Constitution and consider that, Benjamin Franklin made an address to that convention. This is what he had to say. He said, In the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. And have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? He said, I have lived for a long time, 81 years. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. He went on to say, Benjamin Franklin went on to say, I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall proceed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. And right at the heart of what he was saying was a recognition of this one thing that was essential, the Lord's help in the building of that nation. He quotes Psalm 127 verse 1. And if that's true of a nation, if Benjamin Franklin felt that was true in the foundation of the Constitution of America, is it not true of a Christian home? That we need the Lord to build it? That's the truth of this verse. This is not an option. This is not an alternative for us. This is a necessity. Except the Lord build the house. We labor in vain that build it. We need the Lord to build. We dare not try to build our homes without the Lord. If we do, our labor will be in vain. It will come to nothing. It will be empty. It will be empty. How does the Lord build? How does the Lord build? But he builds by his grace. By his grace. Grace lies at the heart of all the Lord does for his people. He saves us by his grace. How does he build his church? He is gracious to sinners. He plucks them out and he makes them as lively stones. He brings them into union with Christ and they're built up upon Christ, that chief cornerstone. It's all of grace. He keeps us by his grace. He blesses us by his grace. He builds us up by his grace. And therefore, believer, we need his grace in our homes. It was grace that caused David to become the man he was. It was grace that fashioned the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It was, it was the grace of God that made their home such a Bethel, 
such a place where, where Christ was welcomed, where they would sit at the feet of the Savior and learn of him. It was grace that made the home of Zacharias and Elizabeth and John the Baptist a spirit-filled home. We don't deserve anything from the Lord, but grace is unmerited favor, undeserved favor. And he is pleased to build our homes because he is a gracious God. You ever think of that? You ever pray for grace in your family? That God in his mercy, God in his goodness would be gracious to us? That's how he builds our homes. By pouring in his grace. By giving to us his own merited favor, his undeserved favor, his goodness. So we ought to pray for our children. That God would have grace upon them and save them, bring them to himself. There's also the matter of his wisdom. His wisdom. Proverbs 24 and verse 3 has something to say about building homes and building houses. Building homes. He says there in Proverbs 24 verse 3, Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established by wisdom. Whose wisdom? By God's wisdom. Let's, let's face it, we, we're not able for this great work. We, we lack wisdom as parents. We make mistakes. We fail. Therefore, we must not lean on our own understanding. We must seek the wisdom of God. We must bring the challenges of our homes to him. We must cry to him as we seek to guide our children, seek to build our homes. We must cry to him that he would give us the wisdom that we need because it's through wisdom is in house build it. James 3 verse 17 ties in with this. He says the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's the kind of wisdom we need. Wisdom from above. Of course, wisdom speaks to us of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. Christ has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So when we're praying for wisdom in our homes, just as we're praying for grace, we're praying for the evident working of Christ in our families. Because he's the one who builds them up. He's the one who will be gracious to them. We need his power as well. Christ is the master builder. He's the one who changes hearts. He's the one who softens hearts. He's the one who changes lives. He's the one who answers prayer. It's Christ who does that. As the master builder. And so we need the Lord to work. We need his spirit. We commenced the other evening in Ephesians chapter 5. I referenced verse 18 in that chapter where Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit. And all that he says in regard to husbands and wives flows from that statement. That we are to be filled with the Spirit of God. And we need to pray for that also. That we would not be drunk with wine when it's excess, but we would be filled with the Spirit. And it's in the context of that he goes on to deal with husbands and wives and fathers in chapter 6 and verse 4, and children in chapter 6 and verse 1, it's all in the context of a spirit 
filled home and a spirit-filled life. Those are things that are essential for us as we seek to build our homes. We need Christ. We need Christ to be at the centre of all that we do. With our children, for our children, in our homes and with our families. And believer, let's not just suppose. Here, here's the danger sometimes. Let's not just suppose that Christ is there. Pray for his presence. Pray for his power. Turn over to Luke chapter 2, just very quickly. Luke chapter 2. And the account in this portion of Mary and Joseph. And they're taking the Savior as a 12-year-old up to the temple. Maybe other children were there with them also. And after being at the feast, they begin their journey home. Verse 39, we're told when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, he went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind him, behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they supposed that Christ was in the company. They, they supposed, here were parents, Mary and Joseph, who supposed Christ was there. They had been to the feast. They had been up to the house of God. They had been up to the temple. They had been engaged in religious activity. Nothing untoward about what they are doing. And as they travel home, they suppose that Christ was in the company. But Christ wasn't there. Christ wasn't there. And they travelled a day's journey without him. And then they had to turn back. Verse 45. And it says in verse 46 that after three days they found him in the temple. They had gone four days without the Lord. One day as they travelled out from Jerusalem. Three days travelling back. No doubt over the places they had been. Looking for the Saviour. Four days without him. That's why I say we must not suppose. We must not just suppose in our families that, well, we do this and we do that and we go here and we go there and, well, we just suppose Christ is in our midst. No, we've got to pray that he's there. We need him. We need him. If we're going to build, if the work is, we need him to do the building work. Except the Lord build the house. If we're going to have godly homes, we need the Lord to do that building. And you'll notice in Luke chapter 2 that their absence, or the Saviour's absence, led to tremendous sorrow because Mary says to him when they do find him, we have sought you sorrowing. And homes without Christ are homes that will be filled with sorrow. The absence of the Saviour. So pray for him to be all in all to us and to our families. We need the Lord to build. Adam Clark, the commentator, said, Now it is true 
It is true that unless the good hand of God be upon us, we cannot prosperously build a place of worship for his name. Unless we have his blessing, a dwelling house cannot be comfortably erected. And if his blessing be not on our children, the house or the family may be built up, but instead of it being the house of God, it will be the synagogue of Satan. We need the Lord to build it. We need the Lord to build. We need to know his presence and his power and his blessing in our homes. And maybe tonight there's someone here and you've allowed this to slip. You haven't been depending upon the Lord. Maybe he's been rarely mentioned in your home. Maybe you haven't been thinking about him so much recently or maybe for weeks, or maybe for months. And dear believer, make this the day when that all changes. Recognize the need to have the Lord build your home. Recognize the need to have him at the center of it all. Begin to pray. Even if your prayers are stumbling prayers, It's better to pray stumbling prayers than not to pray at all. It's better to feel your prayers are very weak than to say, well, I I can't pray, therefore I'm not going to pray. The Lord hears stumbling prayers. The Lord hears prayers that are weak and feeble. And you may feel yourself unworthy. You may feel and you may think to yourself, well, how will God accept me now if I have so neglected these matters? Your acceptance with God is based on Christ's work for you. So keep that in mind. Our justification means our sins have been forgiven and we are accepted in God's sight only because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. Not because of how we perform certain things, but because of the righteousness of Christ. Our acceptance is in heaven. Ephesians 1 verse 6, we are accepted in the beloved. And the Lord, the Lord would rather we pray with weak prayers and stumbling prayers and stuttering prayers and prayers that are feeble in our own eyes than not pray at all. So I encourage you tonight to be like Joshua. Joshua comes to the end of his life in Joshua 24. And he addresses the nation for the last time. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So let me encourage you to make that the resolve of your heart, by God's grace. And to come to this verse of scripture and to pray over it and say, Lord, except you build my home, my, all my efforts will be in vain. So Lord, come and build my home. Come and save my children. Come and correct them where they're going astray. Come and have mercy upon them. And guide me and help me and... Give me wisdom. Give me strength that I need. How important, how important all of that is. So we have a great endeavor in these verses and we have a great essential in these verses. We have a great encouragement in these verses too because this psalm only deals with a building but with a blessing. A building and a blessing. And this runs right into the next psalm, Psalm 128. A home built on Christ and a home built on by Christ and through Christ and with Christ and in Christ. 
with an eye to his glory, a home built on scriptural principles, seeking to know God's blessing, will know that blessing. Look at the language here in in Psalm 127 and verse 2. It says, It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Gives his beloved sleep. There's the thought of calmness. Many homes have difficulties. Every home has trials. Every home has problems. But the Lord is promising to give help in our times of need here. To give calmness. To give peace that passeth understanding. Peace is mentioned at the end of the next psalm. Psalm 128. The earth shall see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. The Lord gives peace. He gives peace that passes all understanding. Even in the turbulent times of life. He does. I think it's one of the great dangers of social media. Nobody ever puts up the difficult times in social media. Very rarely anyway. Usually it's everything's going very smooth. Everybody's very happy. There's never a problem. There's never a concern. That's, that's That's not real life. There are many challenges. Many challenges for young parents. Many challenges for middle-aged parents. Older parents. With maybe grandchildren. Huge challenges. But the Lord promises his blessing. He promises his blessing. He promises his presence to be with us. Look at the contentment that's mentioned here in verse 5. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. There's a happiness. There's a happiness. Not, not the way the world looks at happiness, but a joyfulness in Christ, a resting in Christ. It's also a conquest here because that language in verse 5, they shall speak with the enemies in the gate, literally means to subdue or to destroy. There's a sense of victory here, a sense of triumph. As Christ builds our homes, there is victory in the Lord. I don't know if you noticed as we read Psalm 128, but it begins with that phrase, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. And then he he lists some things. He says, For thou shalt eat the labour of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children, like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, verse 4, Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. And now he repeats that statement. He says in verse 1, Blessed is the man that fears the Lord. And then in verse 4 he says, Look, there's the blessing of the man that fears the Lord. There's an absolute certainty in these verses. Verse 5 has the thought of blessing again. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. The word bless there has to do with our knees. has to do with kneeling in the sense of coming before the Lord. And as we come before the Lord confessing our need of his help and of him building our homes. Of the Lord's grace, the Lord's wisdom, the Lord's mercy, the Lord's spirit, the Lord's power. As we come before him on our knees acknowledging that. And the promise here is we will know the Lord's blessing. Does that not what we desire tonight? For our homes, for our children, 
for your grandchildren, for the children across this whole area. The Lord would move in grace and mercy upon them. It's what we desire in our families. What would be the benefit? What would be the benefit if our children grew up to be the richest people on the earth? If they grew up to be the most famous people on the earth? If they grew up to be the wisest person as far as the world would think? If they didn't know the Lord? Let's pray that the Lord would work in our hearts that these words in Psalm 127 especially would be impressed upon us except the Lord build the house. And, and the Lord is sovereign in his building. The Lord is sovereign in his building. We'll look at this a little more tomorrow evening because there are many parents who are distressed over their families and their hearts are broken and they have been praying and they've been seeking the Lord. And they've been longing for his blessing in the salvation of their children. And to this point in time, the Lord has not saved their children. The Lord has a word for us in that circumstance. The Lord is sovereign in his ways. And as for God, his way is perfect. But here's a tremendous promise here, a tremendous statement. That except the Lord build the house. We need him. We need him in our own lives, don't we? Every day. Every day we need the Lord to help us. To help us. Never mind us helping anyone else. To help us walk with him. The challenges we face in the space of one day. We need the Lord to help us. And thank God he is our helper. I will lift up mine eyes onto the hills from whence cometh my help my help cometh from the Lord. Believer, that's for us. That's for us individually. That's for us in our families. That's for us with our children. That's for us in the work of God. The Lord is our helper. He is full of grace and full of mercy and full of encouragement and full of comfort for us. He says in Isaiah 40, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. The Lord is interested in the comfort of his people. So may we take these words to heart tonight and may we know the Lord building our homes. May we know the Lord building our homes for his sake and for our good.